I'm Donna Peters, and this is season three of the award-winning Me Sweet podcast. The Me Suite is a community of career-driven, life-minded professionals sharing our stories, sharing what it means to lead our lives with purpose, planning, and power. What I call leading with a Me Suite mindset. Let's get in there. During the last year in the pandemic, there are many of us who have faced crossroads that we haven't maybe experienced recently or ever in our career trajectory. Things like job loss or things like feeling insecure in your current position and even some soul searching of maybe I have dedicated my life to something that isn't just right for me and I'm interested in making a meaningful switch. So I thought a session focused on Thoughts and advice for wealth preservation and growth would be very timely and relevant based on listener questions. And to that end, I have invited a wealth preservation expert. His name is Sari Ibrahim, and he is going to be sharing his experience on working with high net worth individuals, working with business owners deep in the real estate investment industries, etc., to give us some tips on how to think about banking on ourselves. I would like to welcome Sari Ibrahim to the Me Suite. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Sari, I did maybe a butcher job of really describing what you do every day. Let me hear it in your words. No, yeah, that was a really nice introduction. I appreciate that. In other words, I, what I do is I help people grow safe and predictable wealth without mm-hmm. having to worry about the stock market or the economy. And also, I help them become their own source of financing so that way they can kind of rely on themselves. I'd rather not have to rely on banks or other financial institutions for financial support in their business, their real estate venture, or as full-time employees. That's amazing. And so I feel very lucky to have found you to help address some of these listener questions I've been getting. So let's just bite them off one by one. Let's start Mm -hmm. with the first one. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for these career business professionals that are now faced with a job loss as it pertains to wealth preservation? Yeah, so that that is tough. It's, it's a tough, tough situation to be in. I was actually in that situation last year. So I a little bit of background is I started my business five years ago. But mm-hmm. as I was starting my business, I was also working consulting jobs mm. uh, to kind of help uh, sustain the business. And this is something I was transparent about with with the employers I was working with. Yeah. Um, and around last year, I was let go. My company called me. They're like, "Hey, you know, uh, budgeting issues. Uh, we're we're gonna have to let you go." Mm-hmm. And even though I had was starting my business. I, I wasn't ready yet. Um, I was still relying on that biweekly income coming mm-hmm. in, the benefits behind it to support my wife and I. We were planning on buying a home and I just kind of threw everything off. Mm-hmm. And instantly, luckily, even though it, it kind of like hurt so bad, like losing my job, and mm-hmm. I actually liked my job. So even though I was starting a business and building it up, I still really enjoyed my job. Mm-hmm. Instantly, that same minute, I remember it was like at 3 p.m. I got that call and then at like 3 or 1 p.m. I wow. flipped and was like, all right, now I'm a full-time entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. Uh-huh. Um, there's nothing else. And I went full into that. I made a plan. I made a plan for the plan, budgeting plan, marketing plan. I called mentors, coaches. I got the wheels in motion. Okay. Started looking for funding. And I was like, that's what you're supposed to do if you lose your job. Not necessarily go start a business, but whatever happens, you get into a full-time job right after that. So, For example, if you lost your W-2 job yeah. and... The next step is now you, your full-time job now is finding another job or starting a business, either one. 
Yeah. And it's it's a full-time commitment. And the same way how you probably working in a job, you had to do research for your job, you had to make calls, you had to meet with people, you had to set up meetings. The same thing for you. You have mm-hmm. to do this, those things now for yourself. You're your own boss now. Even again, even if you're looking for another job, you're your own boss now. And you need to set schedule. Uh, and it's mindset. You know, 80% of it is mindset. Yeah. 80% of it is you believing in yourself and you programming your inner mind to be able to do what you want to do. 20% of it is your degree, your connections, your the money where you live, the city you live in, et cetera. Yeah. But 80% of it is you believing in yourself, also known as self-esteem. Yeah. So that is extremely important in hard times like this, especially post-COVID-2020. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I'm hearing a theme of focus and motivation. I really like this. So let me ask a tough question though. Is there anything that you advise that has to happen with the finances, like so, so you you learn on that Friday that mm-hmm. you've lost your gravy train job, you are uh, maybe you're starting or supporting a family. Mm-hmm. What recommendation do you have for what happens that next week? Let me make some stuff up. Is it conversations with the family about spending behavior changes that you're going to have to make? Is there anything drastic that you recommend, or do you recommend nothing drastic yet? How do we translate that horrible, risky financial feeling into an action? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so definitely it's um, kind of the transparency with your family and yourself too. So mm-hmm. look, you taking out you know, a piece of paper and from scratch, are, where are our expenses, our monthly expenses? Where are, how much do we have in cash reserves? Yeah. Where are you know, 401k, IRA? We, we take all these things and also help you know, reach out to a financial coach. There's a lot of free financial coaches out there that could help out with this. Mm-hmm. So when you lose your job, you're losing that biweekly income. It's going to change the next, um, everything you buy after that, all your rent payments, your mortgage payments, everything else is going to change after that. Because for most Americans, you know, um, like 60% of Americans, you know, don't even have $1,000 in a bank account. And it's not an income problem. It's more of a savings problem. So Mm -hmm. of course, when you lose your job, there's going to be some income. There's going to be some financial barriers Mm -hmm. that you're going to have to reach. And then this kind of brings it to another point is that if you're listening to this episode and you're still Mm -hmm. employed, I highly recommend as a financial planner, I highly recommend that you have at least six months of your bills set aside. So that way, if something does happen, you can tap into those reserves now and keep it flowing as you're looking for jobs and going to interviews or starting a business. There's that downtime, you know, assume a six month downtime. So wow. from the time you get let go uh-huh. to the time you get another job, just assume on a, on a low end that it's going to be six months. Yeah. I love the real practical advice of the six month savings and and just the mental release of that feeling of security mm-hmm. that you have the six months there. I, th- I think that 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 mental strength mm-hmm. of not having the financial panic has a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a there's a lot of data out there, new studies about the interconnectedness of financial stress and mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think your advice about having that that financial cushion of six months, I think, also has some some mental health benefits as well. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's again, it's it's back to you know eighty percent mindset. It's you mm. believing in yourself. You panicking and not knowing what to do is not going to help anybody at all. Yeah, it's action. It's future action, and it's it's planning and it's taking steps forward and not uh, no anxiety mm. or at least controlling the anxiety, mm. controlling the panic, controlling everything around it. And and for those who are listening, who are again who still have their jobs and and are doing good kind of have these things that are in the back of your mind, like it could happen to anybody. Right? Nobody is immune yeah. from financial loss, um, economic crashes, uh, industry-wide layoffs, 
it's just it's just it's just a way kind of 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 business and the way of life, right? Nobody's guaranteed income at all. Right. I was reading this book one time, actually, Don. I was actually <laughs> interesting. And the book is called uh, Maximum Influence by Kurt Mortensen. Okay. And the book is pretty much talking how to influence people, how to be charismatic, how to influence people. Okay. And the author mentions, you know, everybody works on commission. Everybody does. Oh, interesting. You know, whether you're a W-2 employee, full-time employee, yeah. everybody works on commission. Think about it. Let's say you have a job, you're not working. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> so everybody's working on commission. I love that concept. And say the name of the book again. Maximum Influence by Kurt Mortensen. So okay. Kurt Mortensen actually wrote three other books or two other books. Mm-hmm. Maximum Influence, The Laws of Charisma, and I forgot a third one, but they all revolve around influencing people and being yeah. charismatic and having negotiation skills. And, and everybody needs these skills, obviously. Everybody's yeah. in sales. Everybody's on commission. Right. Interesting. Well, there's an awful lot of talk, and I even have a podcast on the topic around personal branding. And that really is selling yourself, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So let's switch gears to a tangential topic, but from a different person's lens. And it's the person who is just starting their career and they're starting it in a difficult job market. Is there advice that you have for somebody just starting out of these foundational things and a new way of thinking about wealth and income today that sets the foundation up for them for the future? Yeah, and I, and I love that question. Um, it's setting it up now. Of course, you know when, it's, when it comes to building um, a wealthy life and building wealth in general, you know, yesterday is better than today. You know, mm. it's better to do it in the past than it is to do it in the future. Um, and, and pretty much for kind of the, for people just starting out, I want to kind of differentiate conventional wisdom from unconventional wisdom or Ooh. even conventional financial planning Good. from unconventional financial planning. And, and pretty much conventional financial planning would be like, you go to college, you get a job mm-hmm. and you work in a company and you have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And then from your paycheck, you have a 401k. You might also do like a brokerage account on the side with a bank or your financial advisor. You would save up money in the stock market because the stock market is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And you save up your money and then you retire at age 65 or 70 and you have you know $2 million in retirement. And then you live your retirement years now. That's kind of the conventional side. Okay. Unconventional identifies the problems with that. Mm. Because obviously investing in the stock market, having a job, having the recurring biweekly checks coming in, investing in a brokerage account, those things obviously have problems with them. As we've seen in the Great Depression, mm. the year 2000, the, 2000, the year 2008, mm. and last year in 2020, we've seen all these problems happen where conventional wisdom doesn't always hold people up. Oh. And people think that it does because there's a lot of shoulds. You should go to college. You should get a uh, job. You should invest in your 401k. You should invest in the stock market. And Donna, the word should uh, comes from a belief system. Okay. It means that when you say you should invest in the stock market, if I told you you should invest in the stock market, that means that I'm basing it off of my belief system, that I believe that the stock market is the way to go Okay. and, and you should do the same thing. And the problem with that, again, back to conventional education is that it's failed us. It's uh, failed us in the sense that a lot of our financial education comes from people who are not financial experts, mm. like parents, teachers, you know, right. um, other influences we've had in our life. And not to bash these people, of course, in our lives, but yeah. it's mostly related to a lot of conventional wisdom has failed us in the sense of financial planning. So I, my recommendations is look at unconventional ways, look at different ways of, of growing your money and saving it over time. There's one concept I want to introduce to the audience. Okay, it's please. It's called the infinite banking concept. Okay. 
also known as the bank on yourself concept or the bank on yourself strategy. This is something we do at our firm. We help our clients with, and it's something that, again, it, it requires a lot of education beforehand. It's mm-hmm. something that I recommend you check out. There's a couple books also. Back to the books. I love books, Donna. Okay, okay, I'm going to keep recommending books throughout this episode. <laughs> okay. Um, one one book is called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. Okay. And Pamela Yellen pretty much invented the bank on yourself concept. She pretty much founded the trademark bank on yourself. Okay. And I recommend that book. Uh, it's called The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. Another book is called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Okay. And again, Nelson Nash invented the infinite banking concept. Both strategies are, are similar. They both involve the same underlying concept. I highly recommend the listeners to check out these two books. If the listeners reach out to us, I'll send them a free copy of either book they'd like. Um, if they just reach out to us and ask for that free copy of the book. Oh, that's amazing. We absolutely will have all those details in the show notes 100%. And thank you for teaching me. I'm learning a lot here. I, I want to go back to what you said about should. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I love you challenging conventional wisdom. You've given four examples you know, ju- just in recent history where convention broke down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So w- when, when will convention be unconventional? Because you've just given four real live examples. The uh, should concept that you gave, that should is based on a belief. I might actually have a little bit of this already. I want to test it with you. (laughs) I do not believe that everyone should aspire to owning a home. Mm -hmm. I'm on the side that I'm not really convinced that we all should purchase homes. What is your perspective on that? Yeah, definitely. I think when it comes to home ownership, it's be a want. It shouldn't be a need or a should. It should be you want to uh-huh. own a home. You want to have your own home. It's more of a desire. Mm. And it's not so much of a financial, a smart financial move for, yeah. for the most part. Because yeah. well, people would say, well, you know, Sari, how, how, why would you say that? You're going to own a home. Eventually, you're going to pay yourself. You're going to pay your mortgage. Well, you're also paying a bank yes. to borrow their money for 30 years. Yeah. Not the, and this is kind of the lesson of the, that falls in within the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept. Is okay. that it's not the percentage of interest you pay, it's the volume of interest. Mm. So having an interest rate of 3% mm-hmm. and then having a car payment with 4% interest and then having student loans with 3% interest and then having credit cards, you know, with, you know, 0% interest for the first year and mm. then 10% interest after that, people might say, oh, I'm in a very low interest environment. You know, I can utilize all this debt. But the problem, Donna, is, is it's again, it's not the it's not the interest rate, it's the volume of interest. Right. One third of every American's dollar, one third uh-huh. goes to service debt. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, thirty-three thousand dollars is mm. gonna go to service student loans, mortgages, car mm. notes, credit card debt, other personal debt. Pretty much we're working for the banks. One third of our dollars go to the banks. Wow. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so mortgages falls in line with that. Is that yeah. yes, a mortgage having owning a home is nice. It's a it's a desirable thing to do, especially in the American culture mm-hmm. of owning a home. But I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it's it's always the smartest move to make. It yeah. requires usually in the long run more money than yeah. renting. Depends where you're at in the country, and it sure. depends how much you're paying on rent and other things like that. But of course, you have to remember that it's not you're you're paying a bank to yeah. own a home, and that interest every year for thirty years. If you mm-hmm. took the, Albert Einstein came up with this equation. If you took the number 72 mm-hmm. and you divide it by the interest rate, mm-hmm. whatever that number is, equals the amount of years it would take you to pay two times or something. How long mm-hmm. it would take you to actually pay double for that thing you just bought on credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So if okay. you took, for example, a $300,000 mortgage mm-hmm. at a 3% interest rate, you would take 72 divided by three. 
I think it comes out to about 26, yeah. around 26. Yeah. And then in 26 years, you would have paid $600,000 for your home. Dang. That's just one of the things you're financing. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I chuckle to myself. Sometimes I'll hear someone say that they bought a home and then 10 years later, they sold it and then they made out like a bandit because they made so much money off the sale of the house. And I always think, well, wait a minute. You're not looking at the total cost of ownership of that home. The maintenance mm-hmm. you put into it, the repairs mm-hmm. you put into it, the interest that you paid, the insurance you had to have to cover it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you whittle that down and you realize, was that really the best investment? If the goal was investment, right? Not not mm-hmm. just the desire to live in a home, but if the goal was truly investment and return on mm-hmm. money, often real estate isn't the the golden goose. So I, I'm a little bit of a heretic about a home ownership. So I, I admit that. So very interesting so far. I have another question. And this question is more about people who are soul searching right now. I have gotten a lot of questions from listeners and largely because of the catalyst of the pandemic, it's causing us to do some soul searching about, am I really doing the work that I want to be doing right now? Is this really the legacy I want to leave behind? Is this really the purpose that I want to be putting my energy against? And so Mm -hmm. while people may not have lost a job, they are thinking about a meaningful change. Do you have some financial advice for people who are at that cusp of there's got to be more, but I'm risk averse? Yeah, I love that question. I think that that's a very important question to ask because a lot of people are in that situation Mm -hmm. where they're kind of like in the middle of this crossroads. Like, do I... Do I stay in my job? Do I keep doing what I'm doing that's working right now? Mm-hmm. Or do I kind of move out of my lane and try to take on this new adventure? Exactly. And I think the way to answer that is only, the, of course, the person in that situation can answer that. And then within that person is mm-hmm. identifying your why. You know, okay. as Simon Sinek says, start with your why. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, your objective, like, why are you doing what you're doing right now? And then if it's, you know, why are you, if your goal is to start a business, why is it that? And then kind of dig deep and even go into like layers of whys, like at least seven layers of whys. Like, mm. well, you know, I want to start a business because I want to make more money. Why? Well, I want to make, because I want to be able to experience more in life. Why? Well, because I've, you know, I've always wanted to travel the world and, you know, you keep going, why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Then what happens is you're going to convince yourself to actually do it. Again, it comes down to 80% mindset and self-programming yourself. I was in the situation too, you know, with starting the business and working consulting jobs. I kept asking myself, you know, the, the business side to this is really hard. It's really difficult. I'm in the financial services industry. My job relies on finding new clients mm. and, and helping them with financial solutions. There's a ton of competition in this place. Mm-hmm. I'm competing with banks. I'm competing with uh, hedge funds, Fortune 500 companies. There's a lot of competition in this space. There's a lot of people, even on a small business level, who have been doing this for 30 or 40 years that I'm competing with too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, and then also, once I do come across somebody who's interested, it might take me six months to earn any income from that person. And there's a chance that I might not even do it. So there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of delays. Right. And there's a lot of, I need to fill in the gaps of cash flow. Running a business, I have two employees. I, I you know, as mentioned, I'm married. I live in Chicago, an expensive city. So there's a lot of yeah. things that I have to maintain to, to be able to fill in those gaps. And there's so many times where I just want to quit it completely and then just go get a job. I have a master's degree. I think I can find a job, uh, a, a pretty good job. But I don't want to do that because of my why. I'm going back to my why. Why am I doing all of this? And I'm doing all of this for financial freedom. Oh, I've seen firsthand that a lot of people who, um, you know, are so focused on their careers, 
don't always find financial freedom. And right. again, this is this isn't to to judge everybody and put everybody in the same category. Mm-hmm. People are in different industries, different careers, different career levels. You know, somebody listening to this might disagree with me and say, "No, I make you know half a million dollars a year as a W two employee. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always going to be a W two employee." Yeah, and that's fine. I agree with you. You know, I, it, it comes down to specific situations. And Don, another thing too is, you know, when we're giving financial recommendations and financial advice, we always, you know, we have our clients walk through a process. And one of the steps, the first steps in the process is a financial analysis mm. that helps us identify the client's needs, their wants, their objectives, where they're at, where they want to go. Not again, not where they should go or where they should be. Where do they want to go? What do they want out of life? And then we help them create financial solutions around their specific objectives. Again, back to the objectives. Yeah. So the if you're if you're on the fence about doing something and there's risk involved, kind of dig into the why, because Donna, once you identify that why, the risk might be either part of your why and and required. It's necessary risks, and then or it might be unnecessary risk. But again, mm-hmm. you need to identify that. You need to dig. You need to go into your objective to be able to see. Maybe it's just a tool that you need to. Maybe the risk is just a tool that you need to use to get to the next level. Yeah. Is there any question that I haven't asked yet that you thought I would be asking that is typically getting raised among your clients at this tricky time? I just started a podcast to put it out there. It's called Thinking Like a Bank. Love it. And and this is kind of something that we encourage our clients to do and prospects to do is to think like a bank and and kind of look at the different side of the banking table and actually to sit on the the other side of the banking table. I love it. So the other thing I really appreciate about what you're doing is you are contributing to financial literacy, and it's something that we know is needed across society. And so thank you for what you're doing, and I think the future is very bright with you in it. Thank you very much for joining the Me Suite. This is Sari Ibrahim, everybody. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for joining us in the Me Suite. For executive and career coaching services, contact me, Donna Peters, at themesuite.com, LinkedIn, and Twitter. The website is the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps us continue to shine a mic on more amazing people. 